morning, church. Today's scripture reading is found in uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. It says here, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, which, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Thus far the reading of God's word. Good morning, church. So there was a man who went into his doctor's office and his doctor tells him, I have good news and bad news for you. So the man says, okay, please tell me the good news first. So the doctor says, the good news is that you have 24 hours to live. So the man scratches his head. That's the good news? What kind of good news is that? If that's the good news, what's the bad news? The doctor says, the bad news is that I forgot to tell you yesterday. Good news is good news, especially because there is a corresponding bad news. This morning, we start a new sermon series for the month of June, and we are going to call it What We Believe About the Gospel. The gospel literally means good news. And the gospel is good news for us because... It has a corresponding bad news. Okay? Uh, Our scripture reading today that was read highlights the bad news for us. And in the middle of that passage, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we read this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God originally created human beings in his own image. And he designed us to be in a loving relationship with him and with others. But when sin came into the world, all that changed. Two things were broken when sin entered the world. First, our relationship with God. Because a holy God could not be in a relationship with sinful man. Second, God's image in us was broken. Now we can no longer represent God and his glory in the world because of our sin. And so this morning, what I would like to do is I would like to talk to you about that. I would like to talk to you about the problem of sin. And what we're going to do today is we're going to highlight the gospel, the good news, by also putting beside it the problem of sin, the bad news. And when we do that, we're going to understand the gospel even better, and we are going to be able to respond to the gospel in proper ways that God wants us to respond. 
So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to divide our lesson into two parts. First, we're going to talk about the problem of sin. And then we're going to talk about the solution to that problem. So the problem. What is sin? When you ask people what sin is, you're going to get many different answers. Okay? Some of these answers would be in the tune of, well, sin really is a transgression of societal norms. Sin is really just like uh, cultural taboos or cultural faux pas that you should not do. Like, for example, not tipping your waiter at the restaurant. That's sin for some people. Or maybe like taking your outdoor shoes and wearing them inside someone else's house. To some people, that's the extent of sin. Okay? Some others would tell you sin is just really a violation of one's conscience. So you can give many examples to this because the standard is on the other, on the person. What they like, what they don't like, what they value, what they don't value, what they believe, not believe, and so on. Okay? And for, for some, sin is the violation of that preference. So many different examples are out there. Right? Like, for example, not working on holidays. Right? If you see somebody working on holidays in your mind, oh, that's, that's sin. Or like, maybe like, you know, make, to make it lighter, uh, maybe like not missing any bombers games. Right? Or maybe even like not wearing socks with your sandals. You know, when you see somebody wear socks with sandals, you're probably thinking that's sin right there. But that's, that's a preference. Okay, in these two examples that I gave you, the standard is a lower standard. For people, it's transgressing these low standards, like society standards, cultural standards, and personal standards. But in Scripture, we see that God has a different vision for sin. For him, sin is transgressing something, a standard that is way higher than any of these. In in First John chapter three verse four, we read that everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. Sin is breaking God's law. Sin is contrary to the will of God. So every time we transgress that, we sin. Okay. Now that we know what sin is, why is it our greatest problem? So we can have an exhaustive list here, but in this one, I'm just giving us four that will really highlight the problem of sin in our lives. Why sin is so bad. Why sin is so prevalent. Why sin is so insidious in our lives. Okay. First, sin is powerful. It's powerful. John 8.34 tells us, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Like you can't even, you, you can't even get out. It's hard because sin is powerful. We saw earlier in Romans 3.23 that everybody has sinned. Not a one is perfect. Not a one is holy. Everybody sinned. You, me, everybody. Okay? So that means that all of us at one point in our lives, at least once, okay, has compromised ourselves we have compromised our conscience our values and our integrity 
We all are sellouts. We've all sold out for a price. Yesterday, is Donald here today? There's Donald right there. Yesterday, we had a men's breakfast yesterday. And Donald Walters was our speaker. It was a brilliant lesson. It was prepared by, by Donald. And the first question that he asked was that. What is your price? What is the price that you are going, you know, at, at which point you're going to give up God or sell out on God or sin? What is your price? And all of us are going, well, wait, wait, that's a trick question, right? And we're thinking, you know, we're thinking, uh, how many? It's got to be in the millions of dollars. It's got to be in the hundreds of millions of dollars. I was thinking that. But actually, it's got to be in the billions of dollars. But then I was thinking, you know what? If I'm being really honest, hand on heart, I've sold out for much less. One dollar. I'm going to tell you a story from my life, and I want to tell it to you in a way that you can put yourself in, in my shoes. And I want you to know what you're going to do, okay? Right? And this is to really illustrate the idea that sin is very powerful. Sin is very powerful. So imagine you just came to Canada, right? This is, this is me, right? But I'm telling it to you like you are, you are that person, okay? And you move to Quebec, to Montreal. And there, you take the bus because you don't know how to drive, you don't have a car, and uh, you need coins because they don't give you change back when you put money in the bus, right? So you need change. So you go to the corner store, and you're in Montreal, so you call it Dépanneur, right? You go to the Dépanneur, and you go over there, and you, and you produce a $5 bill, and you give it to the clerk. You say, Mr. Clerk, please break my $5 bill into two, two toonies and one, one loonie, okay? So you quickly grab it because the bu- you see the bus coming. So you go run. You take the thing, you put it in your pocket, you run. And then the bus is there because traffic, Montreal, right? Very trafficy there. Like you see it, but it's going to come in maybe 15 minutes. So you're just waiting. And then you put, you prepare your, your fare money. And what do you see in your hand? You get your coins, you see? You didn't see two toonies in a, in a loony. No. You saw three toonies. The guy gave you $6 to break your $5 bill. So essentially, the clerk gave you a dollar more. What's going through your mind right now? That's not a billion dollars, right? That's not a hundred million dollars. That's just a dollar. But you're at the bus stop. You're going, if I go back there, bus come, I'm going to be late. But oh, it's their fault. But it's only a dollar. Like all these things going through your mind, right? But you know what the right thing is to do, right? You got to give it back. But because sin is very powerful, you stay there, you get into the bus, and you forget about the whole thing. That's what happened to me. At the time, I didn't think much of it. But as I grew in my faith in Christ... I realized that's horrible. I could have just easily went back there and gave the guy the dollar back. But I didn't. And that illustrates the power of sin. And you have similar situations in your life today 
But all that to say, the power of sin is there. It's, 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 it's present. Now, the second thing, the reason why sin is, our, is, is, a, is one of our greatest problems is that sin is fun. To many people, sin is a source of fun, adventure, and entertainment. Some people even use sin as a status symbol. Right? They go talk, you know, oh, I did this, I did that, I, I, you know, I, I'm this, I'm that, and it's sinful. And they think that it's going to give them that much of a higher standing in society because they are these things that are sinful. It's no wonder in Proverbs 10.23, we are told doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. But it's, sin is fun, but it's not good. It is never good. It is destructive. Now, all of us, even baptized believers, we all sin. We all still sin. But there's a difference between sinning and living a life of sin. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? There's a difference between sinning as a baptized believer and living a life of sin. And the big difference there's three things. There's struggle, there's remorse, and there's repentance. Okay? When we sin today as professed Christians, you know, there's these things. When, when temptation is there, we struggle. There is first struggle. We don't just go right away and, 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 do, and do the thing that we want to do because it's, it's sinful. We think twice about it first. We go, oh, this is, this is bad. I shouldn't do this. There's a real struggle in our life. But many times we're weak. So we do it. We struggle, but we do it anyway. But then what happens when we do it? There's remorse. We're sorry that we did it. It, it hurts us. And then we go to God and go, Lord, I am sorry I did it again. And when that happens... The promise of God in 1 John 1 verse 9 belongs to us. It says, when you confess your sins, He is just and merciful that He will forgive us of our sins and He will cleanse us. We will purify us from all unrighteousness. That's sinning as a Christian. That is why we are Christians, because we can't do it all. The blood of Christ cleanses us every single time. And we heard that here today from Chris's excellent table talk. But living in sin is different. When you live in sin, you don't do any of this. When you live in sin, there's hardly a struggle. You don't even think twice about it. You just do it. And because you just do it, maybe you're used to it. Maybe you're just, you, you don't think it's sin. Right? So you just keep doing it. And because you don't think it's sin, there's no remorse. And when there's no remorse, you're not sorry. It doesn't hurt here. You don't think about it. And when you don't think about it, you don't repent from it. You don't ask God for forgiveness. And so the promise of First John 1 verse 9 is not true in this particular instance because there's no remorse and repentance so we have to really be careful with 
sin because it could be fun, right? And when it's fun, it's going to be difficult for us to repent from it. Next, sin blinds us to the truth. When we don't think that sin is all that important. When we sin, we go, ah, I can't believe I sinned. Can you believe that? That's funny. When we have that attitude, we are going to be blind to the truth. John 3.19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We are going to justify our sin. We are going to protect our sin. We are not going to go out there in the light because we are going to be content here by our lonesome wallowing in our sin because we enjoy it. We love it. Okay, if you spell out sin, what is in the middle of it? I. I is in the center of sin. I am at the center of my sins. When I am at the center of my sins, when I am at my own priority, if I only think about myself, all these bad things happen. I worry more. I am more anxious than ever. Okay? I fall into different types of bad things because I am only concerned about myself. Not God, not others. And that blinds me to the truth. Finally, sin destroys our relationships. This is very important. This is probably the most important reason why sin is our greatest problem. It destroys our relationship first with God and with others. First with God. We see that in Isaiah 59 too. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. We've seen this passage before. But it's not just, you know, God is over there and I'm here and we're content. There's a consequence because of our sins. We are subject to his wrath. That is why our relationship is shattered. Look at Romans 2 verse 5. This is what's awaiting us when we have sins that are not forgiven. That have not been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus Christ. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart. Remember? The difference between sinning and living a life of sin. Which is unrepentance. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart. You are storing up wrath against yourself. For the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed. That is a relationship destroyer between us and God. But it's not only that. When we sin, our love for Christ, for God, grows weaker, as we sing in our song, in one of our songs, right? Sin is something that takes away the love that we have in our hearts. And we see that in Scripture. It's not something that people made up. Matthew twenty four twelve. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. A few weeks ago, we talked about our love for God and our love for others. Sin takes that away surely but sh- uh, slowly but surely. Our love for God and love for others. When we love God, we are conscious of the things that we do. When we love God, we know when we're doing something wrong. 
When we do not have that love for God, we don't care about that stuff. When we're just ticking boxes in our Christianity, oh, I went to church, check. I hang out with some Christians, check. You're not thinking about love. You're not thinking about your relationship with God. And your love for God and for others, not growing. Now, we're thinking, well, you know what, Jay? Like, I do all of my sins, the big sins, in my own private life. I don't tell anybody about it. I don't involve anybody about it. I just do it on my own time. I am only, I am only uh, inconveniencing or destroying myself, not others. You are. The stuff that you do in private changes your mind, changes your heart, and changes your body. And in effect, it affects your relationship with your wife, with your kids, with your family, with the church. It affects your love for God and for others. You know, Linda and I, when we were younger, okay, when we were younger, I got I to gotta put that in there. We used to like go to malls and uh, go to restaurants, public places, and we like to people watch. You guys do that? You guys people watch? You guys watch people? Specifically, we want to look at, we want to identify couples who are fighting. We want to see, oh, look, they're, they're fighting. Go check. Right? It's obvious they're fighting. But sometimes it's not obvious when they're fighting. You see the woman walking past and the husband is like running, you know, running behind the woman. They're fighting. But sometimes it's so obvious. They're like fighting. And what hurts me, what hurts us, and this is something that's not fun, right? Is when they're fighting and then their kids are around them in public. And you see them like dying in shame because their parents are fighting in public. Sin affects our relationship. It doesn't matter if we do it in private because it changes us. Sin is destructive. It doesn't matter however way you cut it. And now, we understand our problem. But what is the solution? Okay? Many times the world tells us what the solution is to our big problems. You know, they give us this macro solutions to our problems that they say, if we sort it out, we're going to live okay in this world. You know, you name it. People tell you, if you sort out your quality of life, you're good. If you sort out world peace, you're good. Or poverty or hunger, you're good. If you, uh, if, if you deal in social justice, you're good. Don't get me wrong, those are all good things. But you know what? God is not primarily concerned about that. All those things are secondary. Because he understands that if his image in us is not restored through Christ, those things, we're going to fumble as well. We're going to have our own version of social justice. We're going to have our own version of good politics. We're going to have our own version of what's good for quality of life. If we are not first and foremost prioritizing God and answering these questions through the lens of God. God's wisdom tells us that the solution for our lives today deals primarily with our 
sin problem. I mean, again, don't get me wrong. It's good to save things and people. It's good to save the earth. It's good to save people. It's good to save the trees. It's good to save turtles. It's great. But God's wisdom is not primarily concerned about that. His wisdom is primarily concerned about your redemption, our redemption, our restoration, and our sin. And so, our passage this morning in Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 26, highlights this. Essentially, look at the first one. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Focus your attention on that first sentence. I know there's a lot of sentences in there. First sentence. The Apostle Paul is essentially telling us the righteousness of God has been shown to man. And we know it's through Christ, right? But this righteousness of God shown through Christ is outside of the Old Testament. But the Old Testament talks about it. That's what it's saying. We know this because of animal sacrifices. Have you guys read Leviticus? It's like the bloodiest book in the Bible. If we were living, if I was, if we were living at the time of Leviticus, we would all understand the problem of sin. We are not going to sin and go, oops, I did that. <laughs> I can't believe I did that. We are going to understand that sin is bad. Because when we sin, there's an equivalent atonement of blood that has to be shed. So priests, they probably double as butchers because they probably have like plastic like things like, you know, they are busy like butchering things because of sin. That is what it's talking about. And back in the Old Testament, we are also told of Jesus who is going to come in as our king who will save us from all these things. And then we read, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. We understand that. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've read that earlier. All are justified freely by His grace because of what Jesus has done. And we, we talk about this pretty much every Sunday at the Lord's Supper. But it's important for us to understand this. How does God do that? God did that by presenting Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood. This is important because back in the Old Testament when the sacrifice for sins were happening, okay? Once a year in the atonement, the day of atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant lived or resided. That's the presence of God right there. And that Ark had a cover. And that cover, the, the Greek word for it in the Septuagint in the Old Testament, I'm going to say this, but you have to remember it, it's hilasterion. That word, hilasterion, is the exact same word as you see here, highlighted in red. Sacrifice of atonement. Jesus is our, sac is our cover. You see that? He's our cover. And how? Through the shedding of his blood. Back then, the high priest would sprinkle the blood on top of that cover. So that it will make atonement for his sins and the sins of the Israelite people. That is what Jesus did. He sacrificed his life so that the sacrifice would be perfect. In Hebrews, we understand that the blood of bulls and goats were not perfect because you had to do it every year. 
Christ's sacrifice is perfect because he doesn't have to die over and over again. He died once and for all for the sins of the Old Testament people as well. And we see that here. He had left the sins committed beforehand. He had left the sins committed during the Old Testament unpunished because he knew that Jesus Christ was going to die and cover all of that for them. And in that way, God is justified for not punishing all of it. That's it. But let me end with this. And I know this is too much to take. Okay? Let me end by illustrating this. And this illustration I credit from one of my, minist- from one of my mentors in ministry, Thayer Salisbury. We prayed about him as a congregation today. He's, uh, Thayer Salisbury with his wife are missionaries in Eswatini, uh, formerly known as, I believe, Swaziland. I'm not sure about that, but Eswatini is the name of the African country. And he first heard this story through uh, a preacher in Zambia. And I heard him say this, and that's when I met him, in 2009 at the, Great, in the, at the Great Lakes Lectureships. And so the story goes like this. And the story is, is an illustration. It's not, a, it's not perfect, but it drives home the point, this point. Okay? The story goes like this. There is a poor woman in Zambia. The setting was in Zambia. And this poor woman had kids, and she couldn't feed her kids. She didn't have any husbands. She didn't have any relatives. She's really dirt poor. She's, she's starving. But when she sees her children starving, it's a totally different thing. She can't handle that. So she concocted a plan. She looked over to her neighbor's house. And, they, and he saw that like in the garden, the, the neighbors had ripe vegetables. So she made up this plan. I'm going to steal so that I can feed my kids. So that evening, she goes over there and takes some vegetables to feed to her kids. But there's a problem. She got caught. She got caught. So she got caught and taken to jail. The next day, when it was her turn to face the judge, the courtroom was packed. So she was there. The clerk was there, read her, uh, read the charge against her. The charge was stealing. And the judge asked her, how do you plead? She couldn't plead not guilty. She had to plead guilty because the evidence was right there. All these, there's the people there that are witnesses to her crime. She was guilty. And so she said, guilty, your honor. And so the judge produced this book, opens it. Well, the minimum charge for your crime, it says here, is 20,000 kwacha. That's 1,400 Canadian dollars. Or 90 days in jail. When the woman heard that, she wept. She fell to the floor and wept. Judge, I don't have, I don't have 20,000 kwacha. And if I went to jail for 90 days, what's going to happen to my children? Who's going to take care of them? They're going to die. And the judge goes, well, what do you want me to do, woman? Do you want me to just forgive you? And forget that you did that? What would happen to our society if... People realize that even the judge himself does not care about the laws of the land. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to recess this court for 20 minutes. And that will give you enough time to think about what you will choose as your punishment. So the gavel went down. Judge gets up and goes out back, shuts the door. Now the courtroom has no judge in it. It's just the people 
And the poor woman on the floor sobbing, actually wailing. And the people who were watching this were so hurt because this woman's life and woman's case, her situation, is hopeless. She had no money and her children would probably die if she went to jail. But then they saw this old man hobbling down the courtroom like this, with his cane like this. What is the commotion here? What is happening? And then people are, well, there's the woman there. She's going to be sentenced to pretty much die. I know it's not death, but her children are probably going to die. Right? And then the old man goes to the woman. What is happening here, woman? What is the problem? I need 20,000 kwacha or 90 days in jail. You know what the old man did? Went into his pocket and gives him an envelope and said, Here, that's the exact money that you need. 20,000 kwacha. Pay the judge and don't steal anymore. Everybody was rejoicing. Yes! Nobody's going to jail. The kids are safe. And then you see this old man. Nobody's looking at the old man. He's walking out the door like this. And then he goes out of the courtroom. And he rounds the bend. Goes back in the back of the courthouse. And he goes to the judge's private entrance. Opens the door. Right? Shuts the door. And goes into the, to the, to the judge's uh, room takes out his disguise, puts on his robe, his judge's robe, goes out back into the courtroom and asks the woman, woman, what shall it be? This is our story. This is our story. Now I'm going to ask you, Have you been to Jesus for his cleansing power? If you have not, if you have not, I want to ask you another question. Why not? Why not? What are we waiting for? The perfect timing? Your perfect timing? Or his perfect timing? Today is the day. You know what you're going to say? Well, I did not plan for this. I did not plan to get baptized here today. But what is your priority in life? Is it to die in your sins? Or to know that when that day comes, you can say, God, Jesus paid it all. I am not culpable because Jesus paid it all. So, this morning, let's stand and sing the song of invitation. I want us to think about that. What will wash away your sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make you whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's stand up.